Welcome, everybody, to the July 20th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got Dan and Chris with me here today, the full crew. Hey, everyone. Hey, howdy. Uh, we were tracking the, the final cases of the court term. We now have them all in. Uh, the last three were, in my opinion, probably the biggest of the bunch that was held until summer. Um, two of them had to deal with Trump's finances and whether or not a uh, district attorney in New York and Congress could get a hold of them. They were essentially the same ruling in both cases. 7-2 um, that uh, Trump is not special, basically. Uh, the the court expressly noticed there was a nine to zero opinion that the president was not immune, uh, despite Trump claiming total immunity. Uh, in both cases, the, uh, the issue was kind of punted back to lower courts. It was fast-tracked in the case of the DA. Um, the court usually holds on to its opinions for a couple of weeks before officially entering them into the record and putting them into force. Um, for the Cy Vance case, the Manhattan DA, they waived that period and immediately entered the, uh, the judgment into the record so that the lower court can get started on that. There's also uh, specifically less strings attached to the DA case. Um, Trump can make some other further arguments that you know his record should be seized, but they have to be the same arguments anybody can make. Uh, whereas with the, uh, the congressional case, Roberts invented an entirely new, I think it was a four-point test over whether or not uh, Congress gets to see Trump's financials and then directed the lower courts to hold a whole new trial and decide if everything meets that test, basically. Right. I mean, essentially, like yes, I, that sounds right to me. I mean, what I came away with, at least from the congressional case, was that the court has put more of a burden on Congress to demonstrate that their request is related to some form of legislation is, I think, the, one of the big differences there. Legislative purpose, not necessarily legislative purpose. Right, right. Because uh, the judge or the uh, opinion, I think, at one point even notes that deciding not to pursue legislation is as much a legislative right. purpose as deciding to pursue legislation. Exactly. Um, it, it seems like Vance is going to get his tax returns, probably not before the election, but there will be a legal authority uh, showing them to a grand jury. Congress has to work harder, but it seems likely Robert's test was not overwhelming. Yeah, I think the question is kind of a speed question. Mm -hmm. If you're particularly interested on whether anyone gets there before the election. Mm. Yeah, we're close enough. It's pretty unlikely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the third case that came out of there is, in my opinion, probably the most interesting uh, and it revolves around a, a group, I believe, of Cree Indians in Oklahoma uh, who have a treaty with the, the federal government designating a large, large chunk of land, basically most of eastern Oklahoma, as their sovereign native lands. <laughs> they were, were granted in exchange for, uh, it was originally the Trail of Tears tribe, so in exchange for mm -hmm. the they were granted this land. Um, 
We mentioned the background on this case in our last episode. It has a rather unsavory defendant, uh, somebody who was caught red-handed raping a child, and challenged their uh, arrest under the fact that these were, you know, law enforcement officers operating on what should be native sovereign land. Uh, the U.S. government's defense to this is actually there was another piece of legislation uh, and treaty, but it's secret, and we can't show it to you, and we may not have it, and even if we don't have it, it's just been this way for so long that tough luck. Uh, and the judges <laughs> said no. The judges said that they, they have to hold the federal government to their word until shown otherwise. Um, this doesn't have any immediate effect on sovereignty. Uh, the case specifically dealt with aspects of federal law. So um, things that were prohibited by uh, certain governments from doing on native land. It doesn't actually establish a new native reservation over all of eastern Oklahoma, but it does make it fairly easy for the tribe to get that, should they pursue it, I think. Uh, this case directly dealt with police powers. Uh, had nothing to do with the governmental structure of that land or whatnot, but it does provide a, a fairly straightforward uh, framework to basically absorbing Tulsa, Oklahoma into uh, a native nation. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. actually kind of interested to see how far the rest of that goes uh, and how quickly. Uh, I, I would I would think the state's going to, you know, pretty firmly fight losing its second largest city. That, that seems like something that the government of Oklahoma is not going to be happy about. But I, I don't know where they go from here with that. Uh, and I don't know how the, the Native people respond. It's going to be interesting to see over the next year or two. Uh, because according to SCOTUS, they have every right to um, administer this land. Yeah. I mean, what does, does anyone know what their, what their goal was on that side of the case? So they were only tangentially involved in this case. This was a criminal appeal. Um, yeah. This was a, a defendant um, arguing that his, his detention and his arrest was illegal because of a specific federal law that prohibits law enforcement from operating on native land. Um, the native tribes did file a friend of the court brief and whatnot, but they were not in any way directly involved. So I, I don't really know what they were saying about it at the time, but they've they've all fairly welcomed it afterwards. I, I, you know, obviously they don't particularly like the defendant. The defendant is extremely unsympathetic no. uh, in this, which might be for the best. I, I, Dan, you probably knows better than me, but there's an old saying that uh, sympathetic defendants make for bad law because you start. Well, absolutely. I mean, the rules you can tell that. Yeah, I mean, Robert's dissent uh, actually almost entirely just banged the table about how unsympathetic the defendant was because there really wasn't anything that, you know, his opinion had. I mean, Gorsuch had him dead to rights on, you know, the terms of the treaty and the fact that there wasn't anything contravening it that was available for review by the court, as you had mentioned. Um yeah, I'm not sure either exactly, you know, where the tribe intends to take it, but I think at least giving themselves the option of 
exercising certain sovereignty over this. And you know, I think it creates definitely a lot of opportunities for them going forward. So also a pretty yeah. good negotiating position. I mean, it, it may yeah. be, I, I don't want to speak for the tribe. Obviously I'm not a native American, but the fact that they've now got Tulsa in their, their back pocket gives them a pretty good bargaining chip with Oklahoma. They could extract a lot if they're willing to give it up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like we this pipeline not to go here, or we could take over the city, right? Yeah. <laughs> or you know, how about an agreement for subsidies for the next two hundred fifty years for tribal government or something like that? Fund our healthcare system, and we'll give you Tulsa back. You know that that sort of thing seems to be pretty possible. Uh, because yeah. you know, I don't. I don't want to, again, speak for the tribe or anything, but administering a city that may be substantially hostile to them is going to be a fairly tall order. There's a lot of you know, racist fucks in Oklahoma. Uh, right. Not really breaking any new ground saying that. Uh, so it, it may be something they might want to divest themselves off of. On the other hand, it's a big tax base, and they, they would be able to fund quite a bit. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see that see that shake out and see what the, the tribe's going to do because at the moment they uh, they were basically granted free reign of about 30% of Oklahoma most of the east of the state yeah. uh, we can move on I think to the state of the presidential race before we start talking about a few other things here uh, there have been two polls in the last four days that have shown Joe Biden at plus 15 among registered voters uh, both those polls showed him at at least plus 10 among likely voters. At this point in the presidential race, the only time any candidates ever had anything close to that level of support and lost was 88, where uh, Dukakis yeah. was plus 18 on H.W. Right. Bush uh, in the middle of July. And, and I think I was going to say that point also, Dukakis had had the convention, the Democratic convention, and Bush had not. So that was one area of difference, at least between then and now. Yeah. Also, right. H.W. Bush was not nearly as unpopular. People didn't like him because right. the economy was tanking. Mm-hmm. That, that was it. Nobody, I don't want to say nobody, but very few people were voting against him because they were like, this guy's a fucking asshole. Uh, <laughs> which seems to be a very different dynamic to this group. I can't leave my house and my grandparents are dead now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it, it's shaping up to the point where uh, the battleground stakes are looking extremely bad uh, for Trump and also for the Republican Party. In uh, a buildup of battlegrounds I saw published by RCP polling average, the only one uh, Republicans are ahead in was... I think it was uh, Iowa, and they were only up by 1.5 points. <laughs> they they were down five in the average in Arizona, which, by the way, actually seems closer than I thought. Uh, Spaceman was polling like plus 10 just a few months ago, so that might be something to watch. Uh, Democrats are up three with Sarah Gideon over uh, Susan Collins up in Maine. They're up four and a half over Tom Tillerson in uh, North Carolina. They're just, they're rolling in some of these. Republicans it's true. Republicans to pick up the, the Michigan Senate seat. They're down eight and a half points right now. 
that's a that's also a state that Trump is really going to have to have to win. So yeah, that's real trouble. Not a chance. Yeah. Trump's map at this point has really just come down to some sort of Hail Mary of holding on to Pennsylvania, I, I think. Mm-hmm. He's already riding off a couple of the Midwestern states. Yeah, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, yeah. I think, then he might still win yeah. if he holds the rest of what he's won. And if he doesn't lose Florida, that's the other. Yeah, Florida's looking dicey for him. Yeah. Also, did you guys notice Alaska is looking dicey for him? I saw that poll. I, Two I'm skeptical, but <laughs> Two polls now. Uh, yeah, another one of them have Trump by up up by more than four. And uh, the newest one from uh, Alaska Public Policy Research uh, that came out two days ago has, has Trump up one, one point. Wow. Has Dr. Gross That's... down by like 13, but has Trump down or up by one. Hmm. That is interesting. That could very well be legit. That that is really wild. I don't. Don Young. I don't know how he loses Alaska, but okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, Young's within the margin of error in both polls. Uh, there are interesting things in both of them. Neither of them show a competitive Senate race. Uh, Some yeah. blown them out by double digits, but they both show a competitive presidency and House race, uh, mm-hmm. which is a little surprising to me. I didn't realize I. Don Young was controversial up there. Oh, oh gosh. He, I mean, he is. It's just he's always had more support. Doesn't mean no. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, let's see here. The last few times that he's been brought within 10 points probably would have been maybe 2008. Um, maybe in 2018- but it's yeah, well, it happened in um, uh, say it's a rematch. It was also Elise Galvin in 2018 as well. But right. I believe some of the issue there was there was a libertarian candidate in the mix that was probably siphoning off some anti Don Young on um, anti Don Young vote, I would think, and also some of uh, pro Don Young vote as well because he's just kind of he's an idiosyncratic. And weird, weird politician. But um, yeah, it's a rematch this time, though. Just Galvin and just Don Young is what it's going to be. And Young has kind of stepped in it with the coronavirus stuff. Um, he went to a senior center at the beginning of the outbreak in uh, March 18th. And uh, first of all, I called it the beer virus the entire time. I said, that's what <laughs> we call it. God. Uh, and then said uh, panics of media fueled hysteria, uh, hysteria and then nothing is wrong with it. Um, Alaska has been ballooning in cases the last few days. Um, hell, there were almost 100 people in a single fishing trawler that caught it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that Dan and I's old hometown is a seafood processing plant that uh, has now an outbreak of like 35 people and whatnot. Uh, yeah, cases have been shooting up up there, so that could be putting pressure on them too. Mm-hmm. Well, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, he took that race fifty-three to forty-six point five in eighteen. Yeah. Okay, so that was within ten percent. I remember him winning with like sixty-something percent of the vote when I was in high school. 
Yeah, he usually does. I mean, he almost never has a competitive race. I think those two, um, I think the last time he was competitive for that, before that would have been like maybe 1990. So he's gone a long time without challengers getting anywhere close. Which is weird, because we had some pretty big fights during that time over the governorship and over the Senate and whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. Seems weird to me. But yeah, I mean, you had a Democratic governor for pretty much all the 90s. Um, well, I guess 90 to 94, there was Hickel, but Yeah. Uh, he was pretty well ensconced and rarely, I mean, even when they had halfway credible candidates to run against him, I think in 98, they had, uh, Jim Duncan, who was the Senate majority leader at the time. Uh, yeah, he didn't get anywhere close. It was nowhere near. Yeah, I'm looking at the 2012 races. He got 63.9. The next highest, uh, candidate on the ballot got 28%. Yeah. Jesus. So to and get that was back again to the presidential- a, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say to get back to the presidential race for a minute. I've been thinking about how there's just really not a lot of events left. Like the conventions are not going to be. They may not even hold uh, the RNC, by the way. Do you see that? The yeah. sheriff, they can't find a venue. doesn't think he can do it. <laughs> he doesn't have a staff. <laughs> he doesn't have a venue. Yeah. <laughs> So there's like a VP announcement and maybe a few debates, and that's kind of all that's between now and now in the election event-wise. Yeah. Political event-wise, and there's still world events, but. Oh, when they top 200,000 coronavirus deaths, when, yeah, things like that. But, yeah, those aren't things that are going to help him. That's for we're, sure. We're yeah. getting the briefings back. I don't know if that'll help him. The coronavirus briefings? <laughs> certainly didn't before. Yeah, they're starting that up in a couple days. Uh, and oh, man. they're going to have Fossey and Birch uh, back as well as Trump. Uh, a lot of Republicans, mm. especially Senate Republicans, are openly pushing for Trumpless briefings with just Fossey yeah. and Birch. Uh, but Trump wants to be part of them. He, I guess, liked the vibe of being on TV every day and people tuning in. Yeah. Well, he can't do rallies, so he's got to have something, I guess. But. Yeah, it's not good for him. He looks terrible always and uninformed. He says things like, you know, tells people to drink bleach or I guess inject bleach, you know, to be fair <laughs> to the president. Yeah, gotta be uh, <laughs> that's so much better. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he just it. I don't know why he wants. To, well, I I know why he wants to do it, but I can't imagine why they keep letting him do it. He tweeted that thing today about how nobody it's patriotic to wear masks and nobody is more patriotic than him, so he's wearing a mask now. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that also oh. comes at the urging of Senate GOP, who has shown an increasing willingness to break away from him, uh, to the point that I'm a little bit suspicious. Mm-hmm. see here i guess we'll do our our final national story before we turn to our enormous local section this week but uh representative john <laughs> your, your local story is the national story this week that's true yeah the international one really
really. But uh, <laughs> Representative John Lewis, the last living speaker from the March on Washington in 1963, and long known as the conscience of the country and the Democratic Party, has passed away um, after a few false false starts. He was rumored to have passed away earlier this summer. Uh, thankfully, he was still with us at that point. This time, it's real. Uh, battle of cancer ended, and Representative Lewis, uh, a man who has touched many in American politics, as you can see from the outpouring of support and remembrance after his death, uh, is no longer here. Yeah. He was really an incredibly powerful man, both in the things he did and his humility. Did you see his appearance at Comic-Con uh, a few years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. He dressed as himself when he was marching on the Edmund Pettus Bridge with uh, the trench coat and the backpack, the old, like, 1950s-style heavy fabric, like, backpack, and went around doing his march and shaking hands with all the little kids and whatnot, and it was just, it was really humbling to see. It's a man who knows that a place in history is not just a thing you're granted, but something you have to nurture and pass on to to the next generation. Yeah. He got in good trouble all his life. I was kind of shocked to realize, reading somewhere today, just how few people from that generation are left. Oh, none of them, yeah. basically. Yeah. He, he was the youngest of them, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, 1963 was almost 60 years ago at this point. Like, if mm -hmm. you were even 20 when that happened, you are pretty close to your, your expiration date. Yeah. Uh, this is stuff that, that passes from living in memory. And it's it's weird, too, because I've, I've kind of witnessed that before. I didn't, I didn't really realize it at the time, but when I was a kid, World War II veterans fairly common like at all the veterans day events and whatnot you had people who were there you were you had people who had liberated concentration camps who had you know fought nazis who had who had actually been there and done that and you don't you don't have that anymore you don't really see them there there might be one or two that are wheeled out in a wheelchair you know rich of old age barely able to function and whatnot you don't have people up there telling you how it was giving speeches into the microphone it's important that we hold on to these things because once things do pass out of, of living memory, of memories of people who were there, it's easy to lose. Yeah. John Lewis is powerful because he was there, and we will be powerful if we remember that John Lewis was there. All right. Since that's depressing and sad, let's talk about the other thing that's depressing and sad. Uh, I'm talking to you guys from the occupied city of Portland, Oregon. Uh, we have had, for the last three or four weeks now, uh, nobody's sure how many, the mayor thinks hundreds, uh, of federal troops have been occupying the city. They operate out of the federal courthouse, which is barricaded and armored at this point, uh, with pillbox firing slots so that they can shoot grenades and pepper balls out of it. They've been operating around the city, whisking people into unmarked vans uh, far, far from any sort of federal property. 
Trump is basing his authority to do this on the John Yoo memo that uses the court's DACA decision as a blueprint to say the president gets to do any of this that he fucking wants, and it'll take years for the next guy to end it because the Supreme Court says all this stuff about DACA. It's nonsensical. It's completely dumb. Uh, They've also established a no-fly zone for drones from zero to a thousand feet up in the air in a uh, 1.5 mile cone or cylinder centered on the federal courthouse in downtown. It takes up all of downtown and most of the inner east side. Um, This seems to be a direct response to people documenting what's happening in Portland. Uh, They also deliberately targeted journalists last night. Uh, shooting impact musicians, apparently in attempts to hit them in the press badge. They were aiming at that in both cases. Uh, they've been just excessively tear-gassing the shit out of everything. I posted a video of a Navy veteran, a uh, you know, 40-something-year-old white man who used to be on the wrestling team at the Naval Academy, put on his, his Navy gear just to mark himself as you know, a veteran, try and go down and talk to the feds and tell them that what they're doing isn't helping, and they utterly beat the shit out of him with batons and drown him in tear gas, and dude does not move. He stands there and he takes the entire thing. It is ridiculous. Uh, the cops retreat when they see nothing's happening. Guy flips them off. Uh, really speaks to the mindset. They're not actually trying to make arrests. They're just trying to intimidate people. They're trying to beat people up. They're trying to tell them that you can't resist and you can't disagree. It's disgusting. Uh, it's the lead. It was the lead story in the BBC yesterday. That's not something I expected. When I tune into international news, it's to get news from places that I'm not familiar with. I'm not used to seeing my, you know, three million people when you include the suburb city on the top of that page. Uh, it was pretty incredible to me. Uh, and it's not just staying at Portland. Uh, 150 Department of Homeland Security troops have been deployed to Chicago. Uh, and the president is saying more will be on the way to Seattle, to Oakland, to a few other places. Cleveland, I think, is in there. Uh, it feels like the start of an occupation. It is an occupation. I mean, it just yeah. feels like you guys are going to get it too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the local government has told them to get the hell out. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. In fact, uh, the, the local, in the state attorney general is uh, trying to bring charges against some of the federal uh, troops. Specifically, there was a, mm-hmm. this was earlier last week, a guy comes out, just stands across from the federal courthouse with a boombox uh, above him. I think it was speaking a speech like it was broadcast into a megaphone. might have been just music. Uh, I wasn't physically there for that one. I've only seen the videos. Uh, just standing across the street holding his boombox above his head like uh, what's that 80s movie where they do the exact same say thing. anything yeah. <laughs> yeah. John Cusack style uh, they pop him in the eye with an impact munition he, he needs facial reconstruction surgery he's, he's doing okay now they're not sure if he's gonna lose his eyesight or whatnot but completely busted a dude's face up for standing there with a boombox shot him in the face in the fucking face uh, wow. it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, if you have a strong enough stomach, look up pictures of it because I'm telling you, man, I can't for more than a few seconds at a time. It is horrible. Uh, this is beyond anything I ever expected to see in this country. <laughs> you know, 
as bad as we thought free speech zones and shit were in like 2003 holy fuck yeah it's kind of like all everyone who when homeland security was being set up said i really don't know about this it's taken a while but homeland part it's got a lot of fatherland vibes to it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Chris, you were you were right. A lot of people said a lot of this when this was getting set up, and you know it only took twenty years to come to fruition. But those chickens are coming home to roost, man. And yeah. these groups are anonymous. They're they're have their name tags removed, their service branch removed. You can't tell anything about them. They are people in enterprise rental vans, in camo with guns. They could just be any fucking nut jobs off the street. Uh, yeah. DHS is, is saying this is to prevent them from, from doxing threats. Uh, Mark Hurtling, which is a uh, conservative former security professional, he's a political commentator now, mostly, mostly on national security uh, issues, tweeted out a picture of him, uh, a top flight uh, official, uh, really top target, in Afghanistan in his uniform with both his service branch displayed and his name in two languages english for his other soldiers and arabic for the people he met on the street uh and these were people who were fighting fucking al-qaeda and saddam hussein uh, we weren't worried about them getting doxxed but apparently when it's black lives matter and antifa you just go hold on a second. super terrorist man yeah <sighs> unbelievable and so i saw that some of the state officials are you know, bringing various kinds of legal action. And on the one hand, I was like, good, good system working, do that. And then I also found myself thinking like, what, you know, <laughs> what would have been the utility of bringing legal action against the SS in the thirties mm-hmm. <laughs> in Germany? Yeah. <laughs> what should we actually be doing now? I want to see uh, the governor bring in the National Guard. Like I know we were just bitching about keeping the National Guard out, and I still think the National Guard should not be involved in policing. But this seems like a military action, and the state should defend itself. Surround the fucking courthouse and keep the feds inside. At that point, though, I'd be worried about a reverse Eisenhower where Trump just nationalizes the National Guard and orders them to shoot the protesters. But, you know. Uh, Frankly, though, it's an invasion. The state should defend itself. It should expel these feds. I, I guess they're staying at the Marriott. There's some big petition circling around Portland media circles to try and get the Marriott to uh, kick out the feds under some Third Amendment argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Third Amendment's the quartering one, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a petition going around arguing for the Marriott to uh, kick out the feds and if the feds want to bitch about it. So, we'll see where that goes. I can't believe that's good for business for Marriott, but on the other hand, Marriott may not care. They're not performing. I don't know how much this affects people and wherever the hell they're from. Uh, But yeah, uh, the governor of California is talking all sorts of hell and brimstone if they try and bring the troops into Oakland. Uh, Frankly, I lived in Oakland for three and a half years. I love Oakland. I think Oakland could throw them out. It's fine. Um, <laughs> round 
round up everybody from Ghost Town and bring them downtown. It might be the first time the cops are having soon. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's scary. It feels like an escalation. Like, I, I absolutely feel like, uh, like one of those failed states, if you read about in the news, where, you know, federal troops are deployed against democratic insurrections and whatnot. I, I feel like a banana republic right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't go downtown without seeing people in camo. I, I really can't. They're patrolling around with, with guns. Not necessarily like, that. that's the weirdest thing about this. They're not patrolling with like AK-47s. They're patrolling with these paintball guns that have these massive drums on top that hold like hundreds of these little pellets. And they have these pepper, uh, pepper ball pellets that they just walk around shooting people with. Like, they walk through the park at night, pegging people with them, because they don't think people should be in the park at night. Park's not federal property. Park's not anywhere close to the federal property. It's two streets away. They just don't think people should be in it, because they think they get all agitated up in there. So once an hour, they just walk through the park shooting people with pepper balls. Uh, They closed down that park uh, twice last night. They bathed it in CS gas, just started flinging smoke grenades in there, uh, not smoke grenades, gas grenades in there, from three different angles, and then walked through it to clear it. Park's not fucking theirs. The park doesn't belong to them. That's the city's park. They set the rules. Uh, They have taken over the functions of my city government. Illegally. I am beyond incensed about this. It is one of the most animated topics for me in a very long time. I don't see how this isn't a constitutional crisis right now. I just, I don't. Yeah. Uh, there is a division of powers in our government and it's being trampled by one side because they don't like what the other side's doing. Uh, and they're trampling it with violence and intimidation and, and weapons. I mean, it's not even what one side is doing, really. It's just, it's, you know, Trump and the administration wanting to make, you know, make an example out of a population, not even political enemies necessarily, just citizens who, you know, are engaged in protest. I mean, whatever you think about, you know, the merit of the protest, it's just people exercising their constitutional rights and for whatever political cosplay that the president wants to do i mean that's really the whole motivation behind this it seems more than anything else it's he just wants to yeah slam down on you know, he wants to get some footage of cracking hippie skulls that's it yeah um and actually dan you're you're completely right that's not even full size because lord knows portland uh, police bureau was doing plenty of beating on protests right before the fed showed up Exactly. Just shit tons of it. They mm-hmm. gave no fucks. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it is absolutely making an example of the population. Mm-hmm. I uh, I fear dark days are upon us. Um, I don't know how much longer it's going to go on. I don't know if they're going to be here for you know the rest of time. The no fly zone theoretically lasts uh, a month. They the notice the airmen mm. put up for a month, uh, but they could extend that anytime they want. They're issued by the FAA. They control the FAA. <laughs> they can wow. put those out. So, 
that month may just be a starter. We'll see where it goes from there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, watch out, Seattle. It's it's coming for you. Watch out, Oakland. Watch out, Chicago. It's already there in Chicago. Their troops landed today. Mm-hmm. Um, Democrats are preparing a bunch of legislative responses. There's bills to require any federal troops to display their name and affiliation and service number prominently. Don't know what that's going to really do. Uh, I don't know what really any of the legislative action is going to do. Like, this is the type of shit that starts a civil war. Like, this, is the type of shit, this is the type of shit where states start activating the National Guard and fighting against, you know, federal troops. That That is where we are. It feels like it's a lot of yeah. doom and gloom for me, but well, you're you're right in the epicenter of it, man. Yeah, I I was not expecting this all to go down in Portland. I mean, we have our riots. We constantly have our riots. We had one declared every week for like three months after the 2016 election. Every mm-hmm. week, like clockwork. Uh, they've declared a riot pretty much every day, uh, sometimes twice a day, in fact, uh, since a federal judge limited their ability to use tear gas except in cases where a riot was declared. Uh, the feds have no such restriction. They're just popping people left and right. Um, right. Yeah. Even this weird shit they're doing with the vans. They pulled this guy into the van. They then drove him around in circles for like 45 minutes before pulling in and with a, a black beanie pulled down over his face so he couldn't see. Uh, and then brought him back to the basement of a federal courthouse just a couple blocks from where he was picked up so that he'd have no idea where he was from. You know, made it seem like it was way out in the countryside or whatever. Uh, just real like Stasi type shit. It's a secret police. I normally try and be the sensible one, but I'm I'm really feeling like, you know, civil war is, is right around the corner at this point. I I think you're right. I mean I think we have to push back hard against this immediately and I just wonder how. Yeah. The moms have been doing a pretty good job the last couple nights. <laughs> the moms have been doing great, yeah. Yeah, the, the Portland mothers groups have all been getting out, uh, linking arms, forming lines between the feds and the protesters. The feds haven't really cared that much. They still tear gas the moms. They still shot the moms uh, with both pepper balls and impact munitions. Uh, but it's it's really focused a lot of national attention, I think. Uh, the moms have certainly been good at getting headlines. Uh the Multnomah County Commissioner, who also happens to be a practicing ER doctor, is basically echoing my thoughts about it being an invasion and, and all that. So uh, we'll see. The women are, are leading on that front, at least, in terms of getting sympathetic media coverage and getting a story out there that, you know, the siege in the city that they say is happening is not being done by the protesters. It's being done by DHS. Yeah. Even the Oregonian, which uh, I don't know how much you guys know about our local media space, but the Oregonian has a, a soft conservative editorial voice. Um, I don't think they're anything like Fox News or anything. They don't fabricate 
but they they do present things in a way that uh, takes a mild conservative bend to it. Uh, even they were like, that, uh, in fact, the actual card uh, title of the article. Let me pull it up here. Uh, is Fed say Portland is a city under siege. Our tour with one family says otherwise. Spend an entire day walking around the city with a mom and a dad and their four-year-old child going about their daily life. And uh, just everything was normal. There were some murals that were spray-painted on like walls that the, the kid was looking at and really enjoying. And parents were like, picking them up and wanting to see all aspects of it. You know, people were feeding people free food. We have a, a food cart that goes down there uh, called Riot Ribs. It does a lot more than food. They also provide tampons and gloves and, uh, and masks and whatnot. They cook up real meat. They, took, they cook up uh, vegan fake meat. They make vegetarian vegetable plates. They make burgers. They make veggie burgers. They help clear people uh, with tear gas. They do this all with no charge. They run on donations from people who bring stuff down for the protesters and whatnot. Um, just a real outpouring of community spirit at these protests in a way that uh, is not portrayed uh, in, in the version that we hear from the Homeland Security. Yeah. Well, it was the same kind of thing in Seattle a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Mutual aid runs deep in these communities. I find myself wondering just, you know, is I, I hope Trump is stupid and not executing some master plan, because on the face of it, it seems really stupid to me. Who he's losing is suburban voters, particularly suburban women. Mm -hmm. And this law and order thing isn't working. Like people getting shot in the face by police is not convincing white suburban women that like, yeah, we need more Trump. Yeah. If anything, it's energized them to come down. Like, you know, bless them. But those moms are overwhelmingly white. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's plenty of black moms in there. But the majority is white, which is something you'd expect. Portland is the whitest major city <laughs> in America by a mile. It's like 71% white. There's no other city with more than 400,000 people in America that comes anywhere close to it. Uh, so it is representative of the community. But in another way it's also showing that this is now even getting the attention of you know middle class white folk who are normally able to more or less ignore all this because it doesn't directly impact them so i guess i just find myself wondering if it's an electoral calculation it seems like a really off one <laughs> which i, I think it is. which he's perfectly capable of yeah but if it's not an electoral calculation then I'm much more concerned. Yeah, I think you should be concerned. He's had a professed love of strongman this entire time. He started making noises this week, uh, refusing to uh, acknowledge that he'll leave the White House if he loses. Uh, and in fact, not only deflecting the question, but then deflecting it onto how mail-in ballots are inherently fraudulent. Uh, it really feels like the groundwork is being laid to nullify an election, especially if the margin for that election comes from mail-in votes. 
which coincidentally, Oregon uh, has 100%. We don't operate a single polling place in the entire state. Everybody. Right. That's the main difference between us and Washington. In fact, Washington will let you use a polling place. I think they have one per district. They, they Oregon just eliminated them entirely. So, we'll see, but it, it feels like it's a dark time out there. We can end on some hopeful and happy news. Um, and it is local for one of us. Chris, I saw you became the only state in the U.S. not to record a coronavirus death for something like a month or two weeks or some shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, I I think we've had a combination of two things going on. One is just generally being small, <laughs> small and out of the way. And rural. Yep, has certainly helped. Um, but also we had a, you know, we had a government response from our Republican governor. God bless his little modern Republican soul. <laughs> that was pretty thorough and pretty early. And then the states immediately surrounding us have taken it very seriously, too. So I think it's created a kind of like a cocoon. And so my question is how long we can sustain that cocoon as the rest of the country starts to rise. But the immediately surrounding states, you know, Massachusetts, it's kind of flattened their curve. New York has definitely flattened their curve. It's never really taken off in New Hampshire or Maine. You don't actually so touch Maine. We don't. Okay. You get close, but you don't. We get close. <laughs> There's like, what, 30 miles of New Hampshire between you or something like that? But yeah, yeah. And just don't try and drive there directly because it's ridiculous mountain roads right. and it's taking forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the uh, Probably the biggest tragedy of the coronavirus response was it didn't have to be political. Your point about your governor doing some good stuff in the beginning brought that back to me. One of the best governors in the early days of this was actually the guy in Ohio. Um, I'm forgetting mm -hmm. his name now. Uh, DeWine. Mike DeWine. Mike yeah. DeWine, yeah. He was the first in the country to close down schools. He was one of the first in the mm -hmm. country to, uh, to lock down. Like, he, he was really ahead of that. Now he's, he's kind of fallen off, and he won't do a mask mandate. Although he personally wears a mask, and he encourages people to wear a mask. He won't like use the power of the state to force that but he made a lot of good choices in the early days of that outbreak and it just kind of reminds you of the future we could have had like where this didn't have to be political where republicans and democrats could be singing to the same song mm -hmm. and be fucked up. Well, i'm gonna say trump fucked it up yeah. i think <laughs> the rest of us did our best it's good news. It's yeah. good news. It's a nice little state. Don't come. <laughs> I hear a lot of people actually like retreated to Vermont uh, during this whole thing. Your guys' real estate prices were going up by quite a bit for a while. Everyone hmm. speculated it was because people were, you know, buying property from New York to leave the city. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's very much a Vermont thing is that we have like, we have real estate prices that you can't really foot with the local economy. And it's because 
of New York and Massachusetts overflow, <laughs> second home, things like that. <laughs> I think that's what you guys call them. I don't want to put words in no. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for getting with me this week, guys. Um, yeah. You know, but next week I might try and shoot for a Monday reporting too. Um, we'll see how it goes. Okay. I, I quite settled into a new schedule of work. Um, I'm usually off by Wednesday and Thursday, though. So that could also be another potential like recording window. I'll keep you posted. I know my schedule is going to be kind of weird next week because we are uh, making up for not having a convention with a bunch of online meetings and stuff. So, and those are going to be mostly evening uh, and afternoon. You guys going to have in-person classes this year? Um, Well, I've seen things going in a couple of different directions. I know there are at least a couple of school districts that are already sending out notice that they're, well, they're asking the governor to, not open schools in the fall so just keep it online and then a few others that are asking for a little bit of wiggle room so they maybe don't have to do six foot social distancing depending on the kids so i've seen both approaches being taken at the district level and i think it's going to depend a lot on what insley decides to do with it all right thanks guys have a good week all right you too all right bye everyone